You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Bethany Tran, founder of The Root Collective, a footwear and accessory company that reconnected maker and wearer through ethical small batch production. I know that was a mouthful, but I want her to explain exactly what that means and all the exciting things that she's doing with her marketing agency, Weft and Warp. Uh, Bethany, you sound like a traveler and I am excited to (laughs) talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. You're you're very welcome. And uh, we we both have Central America in common. Uh, I am I'm pretty sure I saw a really beautiful video of you in Guatemala going and meeting with some of your uh, vendors down there for your yep. footwear company. I, I live a lot of the year in Costa Rica. A couple couple countries to the south and yeah yeah I'm excited to to connect and uh, you know it looks like you're doing a lot of great things in the world and helping others do them as well so uh, yeah it's it's great to to finally get to meet yeah I know we had to reschedule last time what happened we were originally supposed to do this and there was like a major storm that came through Costa Rica. Oh, that's, that's right. Uh, Yeah, it was in, it was in April and I yep. think I think it was just coming down too hard, and the, the between the Wi-Fi <laughs> connection that was cutting out, and also the background noise. Like when it yep. rains, actually, in fact, our podcast listeners know when it rains, it can be really difficult to hear the audio, and and mm-hmm. uh, we can edit some of that out. Uh, we've had iguana fights on the roof, and <laughs> monkeys come up in the middle and try to open the door, and I'm shooing them away, and so it's, it is so always an adventure in yeah. Central America, <laughs> although today I'm coming to you from Austin, Texas. I head back in about 10 days uh, to awesome. Costa Rica, and you are in Raleigh, North Carolina. Is that right? I am, yes. Excellent. Now hot in summer. We skipped right over spring. That's uh, <laughs> that's what they tell me here in uh, in Austin as well. Uh, so, okay, Bethany, let let's get into exactly your story with the root collective you have you're a person who it seems like you have been changed by your travels so tell me about that yeah you know i find it really interesting i heard it said once that people tend to come up with the best ideas when they're traveling and i think that that's accurate because you're just so far removed from what your norm is and what your daily life looks like that um, when you take yourself outside of that, all of a sudden you're just, your mind is opened up to possibilities that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. Um, But the idea for the business first started, um, I think it was about nine and a half years ago. Now Um, friends of mine started a nonprofit called Lemonade International that um, actually used to be based right here in North Carolina and they were focused on the single slum community of La Limonada in Guatemala City. Um, it is considered the largest urban slum in Central America, um, literally smack dab in the middle of the city. Um, it's actually built in a ravine, um, this really steep ravine that was basically considered uninhabitable, um, and yet this community popped up there. And um, 
so there's just there's a lot of there's just a lot of need there um and that's not a word that i like to use lightly um but um so friends of mine started a nonprofit that was just focused on that one community and one of my good friends actually moved down to Guatemala for a year and when i found out that she was doing this this is not me at all like i'm a processor but the second i found out i was like i'm supposed to go like just this immediate, like I knew I was supposed to go visit her. And, um, and so I did, I went down, it was about three weeks after she moved down there and, uh, spent a week hanging out with her and spending time in the slum and, um, started noticing pretty quickly that, um, Lemonade International and so many nonprofits around the world are focused on education which is amazing and needed and necessary. But the thing was, is it was really only half of the story that there was this whole other problem where you could educate a kid, but if there were no jobs for them after that, nothing's been changed um, because there's no way for them to really lift themselves up out of that cycle of poverty. Um, when people talk about generational poverty, it is a real thing. And a lot of it is simply because there's no way for people to get themselves out of these circumstances that they found themselves in. So um, I consider myself first and foremost a problem solver. Um, and it's actually kind of the way that I view the world, um, which is really good and really bad all at the same time, where I just naturally look for problems and how things can be improved. And so being in the slum community going, okay, you're giving these kids an education, but there's no job for them. Like somebody's got to do something about this. And um, I kept waiting for somebody to do something about it. And I went back to the same community multiple times over the next three years. And the same thing just kind of kept coming backwards. Like there's this massive hole wow. of jobs. Uh, okay, Bethany, I want to go back uh, yeah. to the part where you said, oh, yeah, so I went to visit my friend in Guatemala and we hung out in a slum for a week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me, tell me about that because I've been to some. I, I've been to some slums, right? And, mm -hmm. and some of these places, uh, is, say in Rio de Janeiro, for example, some of the slums uh, are, well, a, as they call them, uh, become they've become pacified, and that's that's the word they use in Brazil, yeah. and then they become kind of little hipster havens, which they're still dangerous, but I had a friend from the States who said, oh yeah, my sister is uh, teaching English in Brazil and, and she's hang she's hanging out, she's actually living in one of these yeah. favelas, uh, you should go and visit her. And so that was literally an opportunity to be able to go mm -hmm. hang out in the slum. Uh, yep. Was it a situation like that? I'm not sure that Guatemala City is the hipster haven of, <laughs> <It is>. uh, <laughs> of, of progressive culture like you might think of Rio de Janeiro. No, it is not at all. Um, so this slum is actually considered one of the most dangerous slums in the world. Um, it is not hipster by any stretch of the imagination. And you actually don't go into that slum. You do not step foot in there unless you are with somebody who lives there. Um, and it's largely because of the gang violence down there. Guatemala is a huge um, and unfortunate haven for the gangs. Um, a lot of the, the drug wars from Mexico kind of moved the, themselves south and uh, ended up in Guatemala. Um, actually, I just read something 
I don't even remember, I shouldn't be quoting things that I don't remember where it came from, but it was from a reliable source saying that Guatemala is now considered one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Um, and a lot of it is because of all the gang violence that's there. Um, so this is not something that you, you know, you're not just going to go there to kind of walk around and hang out there. Um, and my friend was not, she wasn't living in the slum. She was living outside of it and then spending her days in, um, in schools that the nonprofit had set up within the slum itself. So, um, no, I, w I would not, I would not call this a hipster haven. Um, I would call this a, you know, a community that is in desperate need of change. Sure. I, I, I can, yeah. I can totally imagine. So, okay. So what did you, did you go and volunteer uh, mm -hmm. there with your friend or, or, or go along with her to the projects where, where she was helping out? Tell, yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So she was at the time they had one. Okay. So I have to explain the school system in Guatemala in order for this to make sense is that there are public and private schools, just like we have here in the States, but their school system is a little bit, a little, little bit air quotes, um, overcrowded. So the way that they handle that is that kids really go to school for essentially a half a day. They either go to school in the morning or they go in the afternoon. Um, and the problem with these slum communities is that parents obviously cannot afford any kind of childcare. Um, so a lot of times you have kids who, if they go to school in the morning, there is nowhere for them to go in the afternoon um, or vice versa. So what Lemonade International was doing was they were actually creating um, schools that were not necessarily recognized by the government within the slum itself so that if kids went to school, the public school in the morning, they could come to one of these schools in the afternoon and it would help them get additional education. They would get help with their homework. Um, they would be fed a lot of times for these kids. That's the only meal that they're gonna get that day. Um, they'd be taught things like hygiene, like things that they're not learning at home. Um, so at the time they had one school open in the slum and they were in process of opening up a second one. And the reason why they had to have multiples is that the slum, has 10 different barrios, 10 different neighborhoods within the slum, and they are all basically controlled by a different gang. So if you live in one barrio, you do not cross over into another one um, because your chances of getting shot, killed, raped, all sorts of awful things are much, much higher if you are going to be crossing into a different barrio. So they have to create schools within each one of these little barrios so that the kids can get there without being in danger. Um, so they had, were in the process of opening up that second one. So my first trip down there was really, um, it was hanging out with her. It was hanging out with the kids. It was getting acquainted with what was going on in this community. Um, and it, like, I didn't go down there with any kind of an intention necessarily. Like it was like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be here. I know I'm supposed to go, but I wasn't there necessarily for a purpose that first time. Um, subsequent trips down there. Um, I was a dance teacher in a former life. Um, so I taught, um, a few times at art camps that they had going on and things like that. Um, but my introduction literally was just to be there. Okay, cool. And, and of course, I want to get, uh, into your story and, and root collective, uh, of course, but I do want to unpack a couple things that, uh, I think our audience will find interesting, especially, <laughs> for our solo female travelers out there. And you're talking about how dangerous Guatemala is. And our listeners probably 
know people who've been to Guatemala before and <laughs> visited uh, the marvelous Mayan ruins and uh -huh. uh, these beautiful archaeological sites and experienced the rich culture of the indigenous people. And of course, saw a lot of the things that you're talking about in terms of uh, the level of poverty, but they might have uh, they might have felt fairly safe in a place like uh, Antigua or like Atilan or Flores or, or somewhere like that. So could you talk a little bit more about, because I don't want to scare everybody away yeah. from, from Guatemala no. and uh, because we're not, we wouldn't do the country any favors by just talking about the gang violence. So if you're a solo traveler out there and you're, you weren't planning on going to that slum that you were, you were talking <laughs> about, uh, could you, could you just kind of address the topic of tourism in, in general and how, uh, some places are very dangerous, right? And some people, some places in the country are actually fantastic ideas to, to yeah. go and visit. Yeah, for sure. So places like La Limonada is not going to at all be any kind of a tourist spot. Yeah, I mean, you're not, if you're going to Guatemala to travel to visit, no one's even going to want to talk to you about there. So don't even worry about that. Places like Antigua, um, which is one of my favorite places, Ever. It is just the most beautiful city. It has the most beautiful architecture, um, has really great food. It's really great coffee, um, has one of my favorite bars in the world. It's called Sky Cafe. Sky um, Cafe. Okay. Yeah. I'm writing it's, it down. Yeah. It's just really, you go up on this rooftop and it is just a great, great view. Um, it is, I've had friends who have gone to Hawaii, which I have not yet been able to make it to Hawaii, and they've been to Guatemala, and they say that Guatemala is more beautiful wow. than, like, the most touristy places in Hawaii. So it is a beautiful country. Um, the people, especially in the more touristy areas and in the more rural areas, are just, it is such a welcoming culture. Um and so I grew up in the Northeast in the U.S. So I grew up in Pennsylvania. So for me, like Philadelphia and New York were like, you walk by somebody and you don't acknowledge them. I the know thing the feeling. I'm yeah. a fellow New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. So the thing that I love about Guatemala is the culture is like you, it's rude to pass somebody without saying hello. Um, sure. And so they just, they have this beautiful culture there um, that when you are in what is, considered one of the more safe areas, um, it will be very welcoming. I mean, I've walked around Antigua by myself at night and never once felt like I was unsafe. Um, Guatemala City, most places I probably wouldn't do that just because it's just, it's a different city. But here's the thing, if you're going to Guatemala, you're not going to want to stay in, in Guatemala City, sure. most likely. Like, it's just this developed city. Um, when I first flew in to Guatemala, it was at night my very first trip there and the first thing i see are the golden arches of mcdonald's oh. and i'm like i'm like wait no <laughs> this is not why i'm coming here yeah and that's um, normally where you see those types of things the yeah. big hotel chains and all that is right by the airport that's the developed totally. area and yeah. that's where the you know people guatemalan people who have money are going to probably make it to the airport at some point mm -hmm. in their life and you know the corporations know that so yeah. Uh, yeah. continue please bethany 100 percent um so and places like uh lake atatlan which is considered one of the most beautiful lakes in the world it is just it's stunning and there's all these really beautiful little towns and markets around there 
Um, places like that are, I actually like, and I haven't gotten to do it yet, which is hilarious, but I've told my husband, like, I want to do vacation in Guatemala because whenever I'm there, I'm working. Like sure. it's not relaxing. Um, I might get like a weekend in Antigua, but I'm like, I really want to go to Lake Atitlan for like just four days and like sit in a hammock and look out on the lake. Cause it's just beautiful. So um, with countries like that, I mean, really, if you travel anywhere, especially if you're traveling alone, the big thing is just being smart. Be aware of your surroundings. Um, don't do anything stupid. Don't walk into a slum by yourself. Um, that's just not, you know, unless you know somebody that lives there and when you're with them, okay, that might be different. But um, do not be scared off by going to Guatemala. It's a beautiful country. It really is. Excellent. Yeah. I have, uh, I've only been to Guatemala trying to get to Belize. I passed yeah. through the, uh, the Honduran border and I took a bus. I'm trying to think how this went. I took a bus up uh, towards the Belizean border. No, not towards the Belizean border. I think Livingston, uh, Livingston is where I was okay. in Guatemala. And I got off the bus and I was going to board a boat to go to Belize mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I was looking for the boat and I had to go find a passport office in uh -huh. uh, in this little tiny town and the boat was going to leave and I had like 15 minutes and I'm running with my backpack uh, <laughs> and I'm running with my backpack because you have to if you depart one of these countries on a boat you have to just go find the passport office and get it stamped uh, -huh. uh but I was I was backpacking or I was on my way basically on a bus from Costa Rica to okay. to Mexico and uh, I was doing this over the course of just a few days and so each country I got to you know you got to find an ATM to pay to find yeah. the local currency so all I had were uh, Honduran whatever pesos maybe I don't remember what the what the name of their currency <laughs> is and then I get to Guatemala and I realize I have to pay them in Guatemalan currency and so I'm oh, running uh, down because there's 15 oh. minutes before this little boat is gonna leave and uh, <laughs> I actually hitchhiked some lady uh, offered me a ride on the back of her motorcycle and I took it oh, so gosh. I may have only spent geez uh, a few hours in Guatemala but I at least have a story of it, but I'm, I'm yeah. dying to go back. Everybody. Yeah. I'm, it's, I'm very interested in that. Uh, yeah. so, okay. So take us, uh, back into the story where you said you were waiting for people to make some real change. Uh, they're mm -hmm. in this slum and they were not, and you felt as if you needed to come up with a solution. Yeah. So a few things happened. Like I said, I went back multiple times over the next couple of years. Um, and within the course of a few months, um, I started a job at Comcast. So according to American standards, I have now made it, right? Like I'm working for a Fortune 100 company um, up on the 40th floor, downtown Philadelphia. Um, this is what you're supposed to dream of as an American, except it was like the emptiest job that I had ever had. There was no purpose behind it whatsoever. Um, and, you know, after the initial first few weeks of like, this is fun working in this beautiful building, downtown Philly. Um, I was like, what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> like, what, what am I doing? And it was the second quarter life crisis that I had had in five years. So I started that job. Um, it's funny. I started it on July 30th, which was my first wedding anniversary. So it was my first wedding anniversary, started this new job. And then three weeks later I turned 30. Um, and I was just like going into meltdown mode. I'm like, 
I don't know why we put such pressure on ourselves for like at, by 30, you're supposed to have your life figured out, which sure. does anybody have their life figured out by 30? I certainly did not. Um, I'm now 35 and still don't feel like I have my life figured out. No, nor, nor do you need to. <laughs> no, you don't. And that's the thing. Um, you absolutely do not have to have your life figured out. So, but here I was feeling like I should have my life figured out. You know, I've got this great job. Um, I'm supposed to be happy and I was not. And um, so those two things happened three weeks apart. And then I think it was in October, um, PBS aired the documentary Half the Sky, um, which is based off of a book, which oddly I have not yet read the book, but um, it was written by a journalist and his journalist wife. Um, and it's all about, I think it's eight women that they follow around the world who are just doing amazing things. And the two that always stick out to me are, um, there was a woman in India who was working in the red light district there with um, women who were basically being forced into prostitution, sometimes by their own families. And then there was another woman in um, a tiny African country that I always forget the name of, um, but it's one of those countries where there's like one doctor for two million people and women are dying in childbirth oh, all the yeah. time. And so she was going around to these tiny little village communities and training midwives. Wow. And literally the mortality rate of women dying in childbirth was just like cut in half. It was just, she was doing these amazing things. And I was like, well, crap. Like there are these women in these countries where they're not valued. They have nothing but excuses as to why they shouldn't be doing something incredible. And yet here they are against all odds. And I was like, well, okay, I've been seeing this problem. There's this hole in Guatemala. Nobody's addressing it. And I don't have an excuse. Um, so it literally became this, if not me, then who moment, you know, there's a problem. Nobody's fixing it. I acknowledge that it's there. Uh, I guess I need to do something about it. Um, so the great thing is that I have a background in marketing, which is what I know. Excellent. I have Excellent. never worked in international business. I've never worked in product development. I have never worked in economic development. I have never done anything with import export. I have never done anything with pretty much 99% of what I needed to know to actually start a business here, which was one of the big things that always held me up was like, I literally have no clue what I'm doing. Um, and I was like, you know what, let's just figure it out. We're gonna figure it out. So I think it was literally the day after I watched that documentary, I'm like holed up in a conference room at Comcast. I'm at work and I'm like, looking out the door, making sure nobody's watching me. And I get on the phone with um, the, at the time, the stateside director for Lemonade International. His name is Bill Cummings, a friend of mine. And I was like, look, Bill, like I've had this idea for this business for a long time. I want to be working in La Limonada. I want to be part of the solution there. Who do you know that makes stuff? So like I had no connections. I had no idea what products we were going to do. Um, I did it totally backwards. Normally you have like a product and then you build a business around it. I had an idea. <laughs> I was like, let's build a business around this idea. Um, so they had just gotten connected with a man named Otto who um, has a really incredible story. He was a former gang member, um, which you would never know if you met him now. He's this big teddy bear, um, very soft-spoken, very sweet man. And um, he had been 
uh, what I call gorilla trained in shoemaking. He didn't necessarily have a formal education, but he had been taken under somebody's wing and got, you know, learned how to make shoes. Um, and so I got connected with him and, um, I was doing a couple other things at the time as well. I was working with a nonprofit in Africa, um, but Guatemala was really where my heart was. And it took 13 months from that first phone call to Bill saying, who the heck do you know, um, to get everything together, build a brand, get products. Again, I had no idea what I was doing, um, before we launched. And, um, so we launched right before the holidays, um, it will be five years ago this November that we've been around. Congratulations. Thank you. I know we, we made it, made it past the startup stage. <laughs> That's huge. That's huge. It really is. It really is. <laughs> okay. A, a quick question. If somebody out there is trying to get their business uh, through the startup stage, could you, could you share a little bit what you've learned? Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to see so many businesses die out there. We know the, the mortality rates are, are just so high. It really is. So um, here are a few things that I've learned about starting a business. Um, well, first off, I'd really recommend starting a business doing something you actually know about. Don't do it like I did it. It was not smart. <laughs> it was a huge learning curve. Um, I've learned so much about shoes, which is great, but um, I would not recommend doing that. But um, I would say that coming from a personal standpoint, you really have to manage your own expectations. Um, that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned is that everybody starts a business thinking that they're going to be the exception to the rule. Like, you know, well, they say it takes five years to be profitable, but I'm going to be different, um, which is exactly how I went into it thinking. And if you don't manage your expectations properly, it will kill your soul, literally will kill your soul. I have went through very, very, very many months of the dark night of the soul because of my own expectations on things that I had expected to come out of this business um, and how fast I expected it to grow. Um, and that's not to say that you shouldn't be hopeful because you should be, um, but just being really careful about managing your expectations because they say, I think it's 85% of businesses fail within the first 18 months. Um, and it's possible that a lot of those ran out of capital, but I think most, most likely they just ran out of heart um, because they just got really beat down. Um, perseverance is real. You have got to know how to persevere. Um, there are going to be days where you hate your business. You absolutely hate it um, because it's hard and it's not easy and there's nobody else. Like if my website goes down, there is no one else to fix it. Like it's all comes back on me. If something goes wrong with our email, it comes back on me. If we have a production problem at the end of the day, it comes back on me. Um, so learning how to persevere through all of the hard stuff and really celebrate the good times was really, really important. Um, and I think probably the third biggest thing I've learned is how important curiosity is. Um, and being able to look at problems from different angles is really big. And really, um, one of the biggest personal things I've learned is that I can learn how to do anything. Doesn't mean I want to, and it doesn't mean that I have to. Um, but I think a lot of people get hung up when they're like, well, I don't know what to do about it, or I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to solve this problem. Um, 
and having that curiosity and having that ability to really just be willing to learn things that you might never have thought about. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest things of being an entrepreneur. Bethany, I wanted to ask you about a contradiction and the, the contradiction is, you know, so, so you mentioned that maybe you shouldn't do things the way that uh, you did them because you didn't know anything about shoes, but you started yeah. a shoe company. <laughs> but then you cited that you need to be able to learn to do anything. Mm-hmm. And you had great sure. expectations for your mm-hmm. business. And it was soul crushing. Yes, at times. But you were. But but what did you need? You needed perseverance. So. Do you think that maybe because you had those things, that fortitude, that's and you had great expectations and you shot for the moon, that was what was able to get you there so far? Perhaps do you think that you're just trying to save the audience from a little bit of the pain and displeasure, <laughs> the soul crushingness that you talk about? The agony, the agony. And that's very possible. You know, it could be. Um, you know, I think that, let me think about how I want to phrase this. Um, being able to have the expectation that things can change and that things can be good, I think that is important. I think what happened with me was I expected explosive growth. And that was the biggest, I think that was a mistake on my side because it did give me those dark night of the souls, very many dark nights. Um, because of my own expectation there, but, um, but that was more of a timing thing, right? Like it wasn't like, it's not like one day the root collective couldn't be, you know, a household brand. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have expectations like that, but, um, understanding the time that goes in to building a business, I think is, that was a little bit more of what I was trying to say. Does that make a little bit more sense? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And, and Bethany, do you think you could bring us to those dark nights for a moment and, oh, and just gosh. explain to people <laughs> what that's really like? Uh, um, yes, I can. I have some very specific examples. So um, January of 2017. <laughs> okay. probably January 3rd. Um, so to give you a little bit of background on how, my, how work went for me, I stayed at Comcast for, um, so again, I started that job July 30th. It was October of that same year that I had the idea for the business, took a year to get it off the ground. I stayed in that job for three years. Um, so I was working full time. Um, most of that time commuting three, three and a half hours a day while starting a business was fantastic. It was a really great time of life. Um, and that was sarcasm. <laughs> it was not fun. Where were you uh, living? I was living in Delaware. So I was living in Delaware and working in Philadelphia. And um, depending on traffic and trains, so I would take the train, it would take an hour and 15, hour and a half each way to wow. get to work every day uh, while starting a business. Um, I was training for a 10K too. I really overloaded myself that year. It was not, <laughs> it was not good. Um, so I worked full time for three years. And, um, moved to North Carolina and was able to quit my job, um, to be able to focus completely on the business. And the business was not replacing my income. 
anywhere close to replacing my income. When I quit my job, I actually still wasn't even paying myself at all. So it completely dependent on my husband's salary. Um, and that puts a ton of pressure, a lot of pressure. Um, they actually really say that, um, I read uh, Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight, who started Nike. Oh, my. A page turner for me. I love that book. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. But the thing that I loved was when he started Nike, which was not Nike. It's called Nike at the time, was that, like, he quit his job to do this and then ended up having to go back to work because it was just too much financial pressure as a founder. Um, and I completely understand why. So I had quit my job. Um, I think it was... August of 2016 and then January 2017 <laughs> I had a meltdown <laughs> let's just put it that way um, and it was for a lot of reasons it was working in Guatemala is working in any culture different than what you're used to is hard period you've Absolutely. got language barriers you've got cultural barriers you've got all of these barriers, there's mis miscommunications all the time. Expectations are different. Um, you know, we're working in an American market that has very high quality standards, and yet it's being produced in a country that has almost none. Um, and so it was just really difficult. And then now I had quit my job. There was all kinds of financial pressure. And um, I literally barely got off the couch for two months. Like, wow. What, what happened? Kidding. You just had too much. Too it was, mu it was just, too much pressure. It was so much pressure, and um, and I can I can even tell you exactly what the trigger was. Is that um, we had done a? Are you familiar with Zoo Lily? It's like a flash sale website, like one of those where you can get things at like super steep discounts, but they only run a sale for like three days. Um, so if you're not familiar with Zulily. I'm not, but I, I understand the <laughs> flash <great>. sales now. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So um, we had, they had contacted us about doing a sale event um, early January and um, again, expectations. So I was like, we're going to, number one, we're going to blow this out. Like we are going to completely sell out. It's going to be fantastic because we're offering things at a discount that we don't normally have. And we're going to get all kinds of new customers from this. It's going to be really, really great. Um, and it did go really well. And Zulily actually contacted us like three hours after the sale started and said, is there any more inventory that you can have add because we're selling out of things so fast? Um, so in their eyes, it was successful. In everybody else's eyes, it was successful. In my husband's eyes, it was successful. But we didn't sell out. And that's what I had wanted. Like, I just needed that emotionally to be like, we had a blowout. Everything sold out. And it just triggered something in my head. And I, I emotionally collapsed. Like, I don't want to say that I had an emotional breakdown because, like, this was nothing clinical. Like, I didn't go to the doctor anything like that. But I did sit on my couch for two months in like t-shirts and leggings and, um, moped <laughs> wow. pretty much happened. Um, and it was just because I think all of the pressure that I had put on myself for everything, like it needs to be a blowout business. We need to be doing better than anybody else. And, um, when I didn't meet, when I didn't meet my own expectations, um, it just really, it eventually just broke me down. Um, and so that was January, 2017. Um, that actually led to a time where I thought I was going to sell the business, um, because it was so much pressure and 
I didn't feel like I could do it well anymore because now I was just in this emotionally, just not a good emotional state. And, um, and I think one of the most valuable lessons that I learned through that is that me as a, a leader, and I hate calling myself that it's really uncomfortable, but when you start a business, whether you want that title or not, it just comes with the territory. Um, if I wasn't doing well, the business wasn't going to do well. So I went through a little bit over a year of just not great emotional times. And, um, and the business, the business suffered because of that. I almost ignored it for an entire year. Um, but the thing that was really interesting through that was not only all the self-discovery about what I needed to do for myself to stay emotionally healthy, but I discovered through that time that we had incredibly committed customers, people who had really become part of our family because I, like I said, barely did anything on it for a year and we only lost 25% in sales. That was it. Which, um, whenever I tell people that they're like, that's insane. And I'm like, I know I literally have the best people. Like our customers are the best people. And a lot of like almost, this is not public until now. Like this is not something that I've talked about a lot. I started talking about it, um, on my personal social media channels, largely because I think that so many entrepreneurs go through this and they feel like it's just them. Like you're the only one who goes through this. And it's like, that's actually not the case at all. Every entrepreneur that I know goes through these times. It looks different for everybody, but um, doing anything out of the ordinary is extremely difficult, and you need to know that. Um, But the thing is, is that the rewards that you can get from doing something completely out of the ordinary are something well above and beyond anything that, for me, I would ever get out of keeping that corporate job with Comcast. Um, So... It's really honestly only been in the last couple of months that I've started coming out of this and really being happy doing this business again and really feeling like um, this is something that can really succeed. And as soon as I kind of got myself again into that mental state of like, okay, we can, like, Bethany, you can do this. Like, this can be done. The business has been growing again because I am now in a good place again. So, uh, dark night of the soul, it's legit, it's real and everybody goes through it. So for everybody listening, if you're trying to do something out of the ordinary and you feel like this, it's not just you, I promise, (laughs) send me an email. I'll give you a pep talk. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Bethany. We, we really appreciate that. And mental health is so important for entrepreneurs because it is Mm -hmm. a lonely, lonely place. And there's been a number of high profile uh, entrepreneur, startup entrepreneur suicides lately. And, uh, it's really sad to see. So of course, if anybody's listening, this is why we want you to be part of communities and we want you to connect with other people or, uh, just watching this video on YouTube or hearing this podcast, please mad at under 30 experiences.com. If this is what you're going mm-hmm. through, please, e- you know, email us. We, we are serious uh, about this. Um, and Bethany, I wanted to ask you what you learned about managing your emotions through all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned a lot about that. Um, so I learned, um, f- for me, I learned things like, I need to be watching what I'm putting into my body because what you eat 
really impacts how you feel emotionally. Um, so I've become really in tune with how things make me feel emotionally um, when I'm eating them, when I'm drinking them, um, making sure that I'm working out because I notice that like I get super antsy um, emotionally if I'm not physically active. And I think one of the biggest things just from a purely emotional standpoint has been stop putting so much freaking pressure on yourself, Bethany, like just stop. Um, and I had to let go of, this is going to sound weird, but I had to let go of caring so much, um, specifically about perfection. Um, I don't know if you're an Enneagram fan. Um, I am a big Enneagram fan. It's a, uh, personality profiling and I'm a one on the Enneagram, which is the perfectionist. Okay. Could you um, spell that Enneagram? I, I'm not familiar with it. Oh my God. Oh, I'm going to send you some stuff. It is E N N. Wait a minute. Hold on. I need to write it down. E N N E A G R A M Enneagram. Okay. Enneagram. Yeah. And I want everyone to know that we are going to link all this stuff up in the show yeah. notes, uh, whether it's in, in the show notes on YouTube or iTunes or on under30experiences.com slash blog, everything from uh, the documentary Half the Sky, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, uh, your, uh, Bethany's favorite cafe in Antigua, the Sky Cafe. <laughs> that is very important that uh, we send some people there. Uh, so, okay, so you're a perfectionist? I am. And you know, it's, it's really interesting. So are you familiar with Myers-Briggs? Yes. Okay. So I've always been a Myers-Briggs fan, which is another personality profiling. And then the Enneagram has been around for years and years and years, but people haven't really been talking about it until the last few years. And, um, it was actually a really big part of me getting back into an emotionally healthy state was between the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and just learning more about myself and how, how do I respond in stress? How do I respond when I'm in a good place? Um, which all of these things can help you figure out about yourself. Um, that really helped me begin to understand my reactions to things. Um, and also begin to understand, okay, like I'm starting to get into an emotionally unhealthy state, like, because I can now recognize this is what I do when I'm no longer emotionally healthy. Um, and it's allowed me to really start intentionally pivoting things around. Um, and, but just letting go of things and being like, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, I mean, we actually had, <laughs> we had a situation, um, in the last few weeks that has just drawn out where like, we're trying to figure out a color red shoe. Like we use yarns because it's woven fabric for most of our shoes. And I was sent a sample a couple months ago and it has literally been like this debacle of, I keep being sent shoes that are the wrong color. And, um, right before I jumped on here with you, I did a Facebook live laughing with my friends about this because a lot of them have known everything that's been going on with this freaking color red shoe. And I said, I'm like, it shows so much personal growth because a year ago, this would have laid me out for a week that now we're on like week three or four of trying to figure this out. They keep sending me the wrong thing. And I'm like, you know what? It's fine. Like it's going to be okay. This is not the end of the world. If it ends up that we have to pull the shoe off the website because we can't get the right color. It's okay. That's actually, it's going to be okay. <laughs> That's that, that is amazing that you were able to come to peace 
with that. And yeah. I especially like where you said that you wanted to let go, I believe you said, of caring so much. Mm -hmm. And yeah. could you unpack that for people? Because yeah. I know there's so much ego involved in building something because that you're building something to prove it to yourself. You're proving yeah. it to your your team, your family, your, your mm. significant other, you have so much, and, and I don't mean you, one has uh, so much ego attached to that. Your, uh, what's the word? Uh, your identity is attached to that. So you can, could you tell us how you were mm -hmm. able to come to that place in your life? Cause that's, that's quite remarkable. Yeah. I think um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine last summer um, about legacy we were talking about legacy and, um, and this was in the middle of just the crap hitting the fan with my business, me just being in a bad place, stuff in my personal life. Like everything was just like, not, it was not going well. And, um, she was also a business owner. She has since then sold her business cause that was what was best for her and her family, which I completely supported her in that. Um, but we were talking about like this need to be successful. Like, why do we feel like we need to be successful? And she was like, you know what? I think it comes down to me that it's all about legacy. Like I want to leave a legacy. Um, but the thing that we talked about was what does that mean? What does it mean to leave a legacy and who are we leaving that legacy for? Um, are we leaving it for the world or are we leaving it for our families? Um, and with being able to let go of caring, I had to let go of caring what the world thought about what I was doing or what I thought the world thought I was doing, which is probably a little bit more accurate. Um, cause again, we're still a small business. It's not like I've got millions of eyes on me, but I still felt like I had something to prove, um, with having a wildly successful business right out the gate and, um, being able to let go of that and understand that, the legacy I wanted to leave was for my family. And if other people were impacted by that, obviously our artisans in Guatemala and our customers, like all those people, um, I wanted to be able to leave a legacy for them as well, but it didn't have to be something that was going to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. Just didn't. Um, so I had to reframe um, what I thought success looked like and um, what that legacy would look like for the people who should matter most, which is my family. Well, I, I'm sure that took a lot of deep introspection. And <laughs> it seems to me that so many people are leaving that legacy. At the end of the day, they're probably doing it for themselves. And yeah. sure, that's probably one of the biggest, uh, it well, in life, what, the, the meaning of life, right? It, one of the biggest challenges in life is to be fulfilled at the end of the day or accomplish something grand by the, yeah. by, by the time it's over. And yeah, you want to live a life that you get to be left behind. You leave something behind and, and be remembered for. But uh, yeah, a lot of that just helps us get through our, our day, get through our lives because as they say, you have something to hang your hat on at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it really is. Yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah. Wow, Bethany, this has been this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I know we're we're kind of coming close on uh, on time, but I, I do want to chat for a little bit longer. Uh, I don't have a hard stop on uh, on nope. this one. Um, okay. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that we got some actionable advice out there for people who want to go out, look at the world's largest problems as the greatest opportunities. And yeah. even if they don't <laughs> solve them and end up on the cover of Forbes, because what good is that anyway when it when it really comes down to it uh, other than feeding feeding egos right you're talking about feeding people in impoverished areas which when you look at it uh, that seems a lot more uh, a a much better thing to work towards uh, to be brutally honest (laughs) and could you leave everybody I guess with a little advice on that on problem solving Uh, just yeah I mean problem solving so every great business solves a great Mm -hmm. problem and if they want to do that and be fulfilled at the same time what would you tell them i would say do it um you know i think it was seth godin who says that um entrepreneurship isn't a job it's about solving a problem and um i think that's the thing i love about business so much um is that there are so many problems that need solving like there are problems that need solving that I don't even know exist, um, but somebody else does. And I think that that is just so incredible that we've all been wired so differently and we've all had such different experiences and we've all traveled to different places that have put these seeds of thought in our mind. And um, so if you see something that needs solving and no one else is doing it, it's on you. And that's a really good thing. Um, there is just so much fulfillment that can come from just seeing something that needs to be done and doing it. Um, and I think that a lot of people are afraid to do that. And just fear is an absolute liar. If it's telling you that you can't succeed, if it's telling you that you're not smart enough, that you're not good enough, um, which, uh, I think that, I don't know that those voices ever go away until you intentionally start telling them to. Um, and that's been probably another thing over the last year that I've gotten much better at is when I hear those voices in my head, which as a one on the Enneagram, it's constant. It's that inner critic just doesn't shut up, um, of just being able to go, okay, I, I hear you. I acknowledge that you're there now, please go away. Um, so tell fear to shut up and be willing to take a risk and you might not succeed in worldly standards but the thing is is that you will learn so much from that experience of just trying something completely crazy um and you will solve some problems even if it's not something that ends up you know being that business that's still here 50 years from now um but something will be solved and a lot of times it's you that will be solved try something completely crazy we might have an app we might have a title for our episode here i just scratched that down that is uh, that is amazing and uh bethany maybe in a few months uh, we should get on a facebook live and answer some people's marketing questions i know that you know you launched your own marketing agency i saw you had Mm -hmm. 
three ways to make money in your sleep through word of mouth marketing up on your yep. website, which uh, sure I wanted to to ask you about uh, at, at some point. So let's uh, yeah, let's plan let's plan on doing that if you're if you're up for it at some point. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be fun. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Bethany, obviously, your company is the Root Collective, as well as Weft and Warp. Uh, where can people reach out and connect with you personally, become part of uh, what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you can find us at um, therootcollective.com, obviously, and then um, also on Facebook and Instagram at therootcollective.com. Um, we also, for those of you listening, we just started a private Facebook group for the Root Collective as well, which is called the Root Collective Insiders. Um, I actually just did a Facebook Live in there today showing off some new styles that we're sampling out. So I would love for, um, for women in particular to join that. It's just a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun in there. Um, but you can also just reach me personally at Bethany at the rootcollective.com. Um, especially if you're going through that dark night of the soul, feel free to reach out and I will tell you that I promise it will be okay. Um, but I would definitely love to connect. Excellent. Well, uh, Bethany, thank you for being vulnerable, opening up about the details of your story, the important ones. Yeah. And uh, yeah, really going deep on this one. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, it's Matt Wilson coming to you after celebrating the sixth birthday of our incredible travel company, Under 30 Experiences, up there in Austin, Texas. I'm back here in Costa Rica, and I have a resolution for you guys. What we've done with Under 30 that's gone so, so phenomenally well and made what looks like an overnight success here that's actually taken tons of hard work and lots of relationship building and tons of heart and effort and passion put into what we do every single day. What we've done best is build community. And I want to build community around the Live Different podcast. I want to design a place where you can come and get support, talk about living the best possible life that you can when it comes to the topics of travel, health, performance, business, all the things that we talk about on the Live Different podcast. And I want to be able to support you guys. And moreover, I want to have the guests be able to participate in that, for you to be able to ask them questions, for you to be able to interact, for you to be part of a group of like-minded people. So what I'm going to ask today is that you send me an email if you were listening to this, matt at under30experiences.com, and we are going to start a super secret Facebook group as well as email list. So if you want in, email me directly and say that, yes, I want to be part of this super secret program. This is free, by the way. This is just a way to build community around what we do at the Live Different Podcast, please send me an email, madden30experiences.com. I will respond. I will get back to you. I will add you to this new group and to this email list so you can get insider access to all the people that we have on the show uh, as well as to the community. So thank you guys very much. I really want to bring this to the next level. Looking forward to hearing from you.